0: The image on the wall is sort of better suited for next week than this week because next week we also get the calling of the disciples, but that's one talking about fishermen, which is what this is, is obviously about. This week's reading is kind of fairly ordinary. They're just walking around. Well, you know, how many painters want to paint people walking around? So. Now, this is painted by um, Edward Armitage. He's one of these painters that you see his work, and, uh, and many of you will have seen this as children, in those big Bibles that had those full-colour plates. Um, he painted this um, in, the, uh, in the 1870s, um, right at the time when Impressionism was making a huge impact and upsetting all sorts of people. Well, Impressionism, of course, has gone on to change the world of art in, a way, in ways that uh, are incalculable really uh, whereas this was done in the old sort of what's what was called the academic or the academy style um, but I reckon that he may have had a just as bigger impact because the number of contemporary artists whose, uh, when I've read about them talking about their work say that their first exposure to art was one of those bibles that you opened up and you saw these full color plates uh, that A lot of people didn't have art on their walls and it was these Bibles that you'd open up and that your grandfather uh, and grandmother would have. So who knows, maybe Armitage has a bigger impact on contemporary art than even Impressionism. But the, one, the interesting thing about this painting, of course, is the image of the disciple um, in, sort of half standing, half leaning against the, the mast. Um, It's very much a crucifixion type of um, and A lot of the crucifixion um, images that you'll see have Jesus in that position. So it's very wondering. And, of course, the mast and the sail make a crucifix. Um, You know, there's a lot of illusion in there. One of the possibilities is that that, that's the apostle uh, or the disciple James, who um, the the tradition has it that he was beheaded, but very violent um, death, Whereas some of the other disciples, John um, apparently died in old age, but these are things we don't know. But anyway, that could be it, but it's a good image for today. (coughs) Excuse me. We're still in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany is that moment when something ordinary becomes extraordinary, a moment of revelation. It's what James Joyce, in a lot of his writings, called a revelation of the whatness of something. The deep meaning of it, the truth of it, the whatness of it. If you ever read the Dubliners, his collection of short stories, all of them have epiphanies in them. And so it's that moment. And this is an epiphany text. Because it starts with the ordinariness of baptism. In fact, it's so ordinary baptism we're not even sure whether jesus was baptized according to john it just doesn't mention it It mentions the holy spirit appearing uh, looking like a dove but you just assume that jesus was baptized because he was there but we don't really know and of course john sees the holy spirit appearing to look like a dove it's a moment of epiphany something ordinary a bird becoming extraordinary And the whole of John's Gospel is like this. It begins with a prologue, and I'm sure you've read it many times. It begins in the beginning, which any reader of the Bible will know, and good Jews were all good readers of the Bible. For them, the Bible was the Pentateuch in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. That begins in the beginning. In the beginning, the prologue of John's Gospel says, all things came into being through him the word, the logos. And what has come into being in him is life. We would write the the, the prologue of John's Gospel as in, the Big Bang happened and darkness became light and nothing became everything. It's a different metaphor. The Big Bang, of course, isn't a real thing. It's a metaphor we use. We don't have any idea. We have no concept. Niels Bohr said that um, the universe is not only stranger than you think it is, it's stranger than you can think it is. He was the great physicist of the the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century. So the Big Bang is also a metaphor. There's metaphors for the extraordinary coming into being of everything that is. If we think of John's Gospel as a film, it's a, as a film script, all good films, many good films have a prologue, don't they? Uh, Citizen Kane, often voted as the greatest film ever, has this extraordinary prologue. Star Wars has a prologue. Um, have you ever seen the film Contact? It was made in 1997 by um, uh, Richard Zemeckis, anyway, they're one of the great filmmakers. And if you ever see it, or you're going to have another look at it, um, the first a whole section is a prologue in, in what we, we see, an image, and hear the sounds that our radio and televisions have been sending out since the beginning of, of radio broadcasts. And as the camera pans back from the earth, you hear contemporary 1997 sounds... And it goes back and back until you hear uh, an announcement of, the, uh, of Watergate, and then you hear an announcement of the death of Kennedy, and then you hear um, uh, the speeches of Hitler, until there's complete silence. It's this extraordinary prologue that goes back and back and back into the cosmos until you get a sense of, this is really enormous. And that's how John's Gospel begins. In the, the biggest, if you like, um, the biggest crane shot or helicopter shot you can imagine in a film... And then it comes to an extreme close-up. The prologue says, And the Word became flesh and lived among us. The Word, the energy of the universe, the energy that is the Big Bang, coalesced into one of us. Everything that is everything, everything that has made life what it is, coalescing in a human being. The human one, Jesus called himself this all the way through the Gospels. Son of man, is sometimes translated as, but better translated as the human one. That's how Jesus expressed himself. I am the human one. And lived among us. Or one of the translations says, moved into the neighbourhood. This is how John's Gospel always works. It starts big. And goes small and goes big and then comes small again. It's all about what does it possibly mean that everything that is everything could coalesce into the person of a human being. It's always about the cosmic and the particular. So what does that look like? Well, we get a little bit of that in this, in this gospel, in this beginning, in the, in the reading that Gordon read to us. Well, first of all, it comes into a human being. That's in itself is extraordinary. That the energy that made the universe what it is arrives in the life of a human being. In Adam and Eve, that's the story that we get in the second story of creation. In Genesis chapter 2, it arrives in human beings. The energy of God animates the earth and the earth turns into a human being. Adam means person of earth. And into Jesus. And the, the New Testament has the audacity to say through the Apostle Paul into us. We, Paul says, are Christ. We are the body of Christ. All the way through he says this. So everything that is coalesces down into what it means to be human. And our text says this. It says, uh, John says, I saw... The spirit, the energy of the universe, everything that is of God, descending from heaven, which was the model of the world that the ancients understood. Gods were up there and we're down here. It descended from heaven like a dove and remained on him. It's an ongoing activity. The connection keeps going. The energy of the universe visits a human being and stays with that human being. It's the cosmic and the ordinary. How does the energy of the universe appear? Well, the metaphor is a bird. Where are birds? They're everywhere. They might have woken you up this morning. They're all, they're all over the world. Birds are everywhere. Why not choose the most ordinary of things, the most ubiquitous of creative energy that we see all around us that's what's going on here the cosmic is becoming the ordinary that's what an epiphany is then John says he on whom you see the Spirit descending and and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit if you were here last week and if you can remember back an entire seven days I was talking about the difference between John's baptism, which he said was water baptism, and Jesus' baptism, which John said was going to be fire baptism. And we talked about the difference. You, You couldn't come at a more contrast between water and fire. Water baptism is about repentance. It's about making a decision to turn around, change the way you think, and think differently about the world. And it's about being clean. Spirit baptism, fire baptism is quite different. It's about refining, it's about taking the core of who you are, the essence of what it means to be an alive human being and refining it down so that all the junk is gone. It's not so much about making a decision as about understanding the reality of the way the world really is. It's understanding the reality that you really are full of the energy of the universe, full of the energy of God. It's not deciding that you are. It's waking up to the fact that you are. That's what spirit baptism is. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what John understood Jesus was on about. It's, the tr- it's what it means to understand the true essence of who you are. How tragic would it be to go through your whole life and not being truly aware of who you are. This is why we have fairy stories of people waking up to discover, oh, I'm a prince. I actually belong in the palace. Not down here in the, dr- the dross and the dun of poverty. We've got hundreds of stories like that. Waking up Cinderella. No, hang on, that's Sleeping Beauty that does the waking up. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty wakes up and discovers, wait a minute, this is who I truly am. Why do we have these fairy stories? Because at deep in our, the heart of us, we do not want to spend our entire lives without a blind clue of who we really are. I'm sure I've said this before, but one Spike Milligan, who suffered dreadfully from the, the British comedian, suffered dreadfully from depression, but was very brave in talking about it in public. One of the first people to be willing to do that. He said once in an interview, you know, if I saw myself, if I was walking down the street and I saw myself coming towards me. I would pass myself by without even recognising myself. What a dreadful situation for us to be in. But how often we are, eh? Then we get Jesus' first words. Now, in the ancient world, first and last words were given a supreme importance. And the first time somebody speaks in a text like this, we have to pay real attention. So we get the first words of Jesus. And the first words of Jesus are? Well, aren't they supposed to be grand and glorious? Well, not according to John's gospel, because John is bolting together the massive cosmic understanding of the world with the ordinariness of a person. So Jesus' first questions are to a bunch of blokes, what are you looking for? That's very ordinary and extraordinarily profound. It's like a can opener question some psychologists talk about can open the questions you ask that question and it can open up a huge can of worms or a huge can of concerns or needs it's a profound question what are you looking for jesus asked it of a blind man in luke's gospel he's been healing blind people the text tells us another blind man turns up and he says what do you want me to do What? It's obvious what we... It's a profound question. What do you want? What are you looking for? And Jesus doesn't say... He doesn't start this as a sort of philosophical debate. Well, I wonder what human beings are... What are really looking for? What is the essential nature... No, he talks to two individuals. And he points to them and he says, What do you want? What are you looking for? And it's such a profound question that you get the sense that these proto-disciples, these people who might be about to follow Jesus, deflect it by saying, where are you staying? (laughs) So what do you do for a living? Um, You know, the kind of things we do at parties when we don't have a glass of Chardonnay in our hands and we're sort of waving our arms, because we don't know how to be intimate with each other, do we? God, I hate parties. They're so boring. Because there would be people there who you would love to have a decent conversation with, but the rules somehow of parties mean you're not supposed to. So you ask them what they do even if you don't care. And they tell you even if they don't care. And so you go on and on. And so how about that weather, eh? It's um, very hot or cold or, oh, God. Well, what we really want to do is see if uh, there's another human being in there who can connect with me and make an intimate relationship in where we see each other truly, and we, and we sometimes do in parties, but we seem how, somehow design them to make sure we don't. Where are you staying? Such a strange question to ask in response to Jesus. But Jesus says, the most profound thing again. Not, oh, over there, or I'm actually hanging out with Peter's mother uh, and... He says, come and see. Come on. What a strange thing to do for a religion. We've built an entire religion. We've got rules. We've got doctrines. We've got things you're supposed to believe. We've got things that if you don't believe them, in very many centuries, we've killed you. Or you might believe them, but you don't use exactly the right language, and then we ostracise you, and we build our own church. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He says, come and see. Epiphany is about seeing the extraordinary, the cosmic in the ordinary. It's about seeing, if you are at a party, that the other person you're swilling cheap chardonnay with is actually the presence of God in the world. And they're looking at you, and you're the same you are, if Paul could, is even remotely correct, you are God present in the world. You are the body of Christ. Fortunately, it's not just you by yourself. Otherwise, God would be in a mess. It's you lot. It's as the Southern Americans say, it's all. It's not you as an individual. It's you together with the rest of us. It's not me as an individual because some days I get up and I can't hardly believe any of this stuff. Some days I know so much about how irresponsible and hopeless I am that I can barely get up and breathe. Other days, I can get it together. Hopefully, on the days when I'm in a hole, you're not. And the days you're in a hole, I'm not. And we can see each other. We are together, the people of God. And one of the great... um, Early Middle Ages thinkers about faith, mystics said, God hides God's self in other people. Oh, that's gone on and I'm going to stop. It's gone too long. Anyway, have an epiphany because they're all around us. Amen.